Hello there. Welcome to Primal Encounters, a podcast about the harrowing stories of humans' attempted survival in the face of Mother Nature. Every episode, I sit my friends down and recount the tales of the dramatic, horrendous, and sometimes downright bizarre, where humans are put to their absolute limits in the outdoors, and whether they'll come out dead or alive is always uncertain. We're best friends and your hosts, a psychology student, a musician, and an ecology student. Join us as new episodes are released the first and third Friday of the month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The content discussed in this podcast contains graphic and violent descriptions and may not be suitable for all listeners. Viewer discretion is advised. That tea hit now. <laughs> I was going to say, welcome back, I guess. I'm one of your hosts, Ambria, pronouns they, them, or she, her. I'm Axel Gray, and I use they, them pronouns. Uh, that scary voice was Adonis, and I also use they, them pronouns. Well, welcome back. <laughs> we are here for our seventh episode, which I have titled Sucker Punched, which we will later discuss what that means. But in the meantime, as per usual, I always ask how everybody's doing. How are we feeling on this lovely night of recording? Man. Doing good. We just ate. Yeah. Breakfast for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, belly is full. Ready to Feeling record. Good. Ready to hibernate. Oh, hibernation. Um, I'm doing good. I, in between all of my busy work schedule, because I have no days off now, I purchased a new video game that I suck at, but <laughs> I come home every day and I sit on my little hunting game simulator and I sit in my little hunting stand and I call a deer in and I fail at it every time. And last night I successfully tracked and hunted a black bear and I was riding on cloud nine until I attempted to go hunt some turkeys and failed at it. I sound so nerdy and sad when I say these things, but I am I have no time to go hunting in real life. and. With my aim in this game, I'm glad I don't go hunting in real life. <laughs> I really am not good. <laughs> Honestly, good for those turkeys for getting away. <laughs> I've gotten them one time before, but last time I literally watched. I watched myself sneak close to it. And, like, when you're crouched, you can't see, obviously, over the grass. And so, like, I crouched and I looked back up and it was gone. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> it was kind of like when you saw those turkeys in real life. I'm so, we saw them again at, uh, when we went to Rocky Mountain National Park this year, we saw no elk, but we saw about six or seven turkeys just hanging by the side of the road for the most part. Squad. <laughs> Squad calls. <laughs> well. Protesting. No, God damn it. I mean, it was a little bit around Thanksgiving. But we are here talking about not turkeys today. We are talking about giraffes. I chose this one out of the blue because I was supposed to be doing jellyfish this episode and then that didn't happen because my story is not ready yet so I will save that for another day and one of the few stories that I like when starting this podcast in the draft phases I had a few episodes scripted just as like you know an idea uh, and this was one of those that I already kind of had the story written out and I have all my notes prepared so I'm like yeah fuck it let's throw giraffes in now. Uh, they're also my partner's favorite animal, so it works as a homage to her in some way. So we're going to talk about giraffes. I did not oh. know that, and I have different feelings. Oh, about giraffe. the giraffe now? <laughs> oh, yeah. I They kind of freak me out because they're gigantic. Mm-hmm. 
like kind of the same way horses freak me out a little bit because they're so big and like weird and like giraffes kind of fall into that category for me. Mm-hmm. I want to I want a listener or some listeners to take count of every animal species you say makes you feel uncomfortable or <laughs> that you don't like because I feel like it's every episode now. I feel like you know primal anxiety and modern anxiety. I feel like the three of us have different <laughs> primal anxieties. Oh, I'm just somebody from the Paleolithic era <laughs> plopped into 2023. I just want to go hunt with some grung, okay? Yeah, like, you know, the fear part of me is probably, like, what kept me alive back then and, like, what was in my lineage. Mm. And it's still there. It's going to take years to get that out of my DNA, I guess. But that's just how I feel. No, you're fair. I am five foot two. And the fact that these are animals that can reach, like, 18 feet tall does not make me, like, it would look in to my apartment if it could. I mean, if it makes you feel better, there are most Pokemon that are, like, your height and shorter, so. I know, because Ferret is the same size, or is taller than I am. That's a big Ferret. It's, like, 5'9 or something, right? Yeah, it's, like, almost 6 foot. Yeah. It makes me feel not as bad, because, like, Charizard's, like, kind of a short king. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to do, like, an entire, like, side episode where we just get drunk and talk about Pokemon, because we just do it every other episode at this point. Oh, I would love that. I mean, nope bonus content okay well i have a story that we're gonna get into <laughs> i could hear your little it's markers oh, it's, a beetle. <laughs> it's the beetle yeah. that ate gluttony no <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that after this i have thoughts and opinions about last D session uh anyhow i have a story uh that we're gonna get into but any like questions about giraffes or anything before we get into my story Oh, I have a question. Um, How long do giraffes usually live? And are there like different subspecies? Oh, you are spoiling my episode and stuff for later. Sorry, I'm a Ravenclaw. So I just like to know. Why would you? We do not endorse (laughs) fucking transphobic media in this podcast. Listen, I don't endorse transphobic folks, but there are connections in that story that I stick with. No, you're valid. You're valid. And if anyone, I'm not going to threaten the commenters to take that out. (laughs) Um, Giraffes can live anywhere between 15 and 20 years. And when it comes to subspecies, it's actually interesting that only a few years ago, uh, you know, it was historically assumed that giraffes were like one species with about nine recognized subspecies. But a study of giraffe genetics published in the scientific journal Current Biology concluded that there are actually four distinct species of giraffe. Um, They're basically as different as polar bears are to brown bears. Like they are their own species. They can interbreed, it seems. Um, One is currently recognized with nine subspecies, but the subspecies all have different coat patterns and live in different parts of Africa. Um, The different types of giraffes include, uh, let me find my little thing on species. There include Western African or Nigerian giraffes. You have Ugandan or Rothschild giraffes. You have reticulated giraffes uh, and you have Maasai giraffes. So they're pretty cool. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about their coat patterns and the differences between them all. But good question. Um, 
I don't have questions at this time. Okay, that's totally fine. So we're going to set ourselves in our time machine and go back to Monday, November 4th, 2013. The core couple, Daniel and his wife, Laura, have just arrived at their vacation getaway in Mosioya Tunya National Park near the picturesque Victoria Falls in Zambia. The couple originally from Folsom, Louisiana, are here celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. Daniel is a big lover of the adventures and the outdoors, and so he has chosen a photo safari as the center focus of their trip. He and his wife describe their relationship as love at first sight, after the two were first set up on a blind date in college, uh, and anniversaries are treasured by the two. Back at home, the cores have three boys, Randy, Jacob, and Daniel, who are a little apprehensive over their parents' vacation. They regularly tell their father he is constantly, quote, one step away from disaster, but, you know, the father, he waves him off. There's a disaster dad. Yeah, right. (laughs) But as they're stepping into their hotel lobby, putting their suitcases down, there is very little danger here. They are greeted by a safari guide who invites them uh, for a first timers tour of the property that they're staying on. He tells them that the animals have free reign of the grounds. There are no fences. There are no enclosures. So you can get up close and personal when taking photos. This is pretty typical. You know, there's a lot of like little resorts where you can just hang out like South Africa and stuff like that, where like the animals can just walk around and walk through. Uh, These are habituated animals. So they're usually pretty typical and used to human interaction. So the animals are wild, but they're habituated to people, like I say, so it gives the people like the cores a good opportunity to take some photos close up. A few of the animals that he lists include zebra, uh, wildebeest, also known as new, the occasional elephant, and of course the iconic giraffe. Eager to stretch their legs and officially start their wedding anniversary celebration, the couple agrees to go on the tour. For the next few minutes, their tour vehicle winds in and out of the Zambian brush. The Americans are soaking up every little thing that they can see. The acacia trees tower above thickets of thorns, where the pathways of animals carve out game trails all over the property. As the car takes a turn around a bend, the guide notices two safari, two safaris, two giraffes to the side of the road to their left. He looks at Laura, who is sitting in the front seat, and says, Ma'am, would you like a photograph? Laura says yes, obviously, and she and the guide uh, pull over the car on the dirt road and get out. The giraffes are about 40 to 50 yards away. They appear to be mindlessly grazing on the tree branches that stand about 15 feet off the ground. The guide stands by Laura as she begins to videotape and photograph the animals. Daniel is right there behind them recording. He is suddenly struck with a kind of a, a wave of unease, like something isn't right here. He turns his head towards a kind of big mass of foliage not far from where they're standing, and he can see something moving through the game trail and through the the brush. He notes that whatever is in the brush coming towards them is enormous, and for a moment he braces himself for any encroaching danger. But what comes out of the bushes is just another giraffe. So breathing a sigh of relief, Daniel turns back to his wife and says, Laura, look, here comes another one. But this giraffe is not stopping. (coughs) Sorry. You're good. But this giraffe isn't stopping. The fully grown bull male is swaying his body as he approaches, but the couple really don't show any fear. They rationalize that they have been told these animals are habituated to human presence, so they point their cameras up for what should be a really great shot. 
Interestingly, Daniel, for his part, is an experienced vet tech, but he is incredibly honest in interviews that he does not have an education on giraffe behavior. So at least to him and what he is used to uh, in terms of like animal interaction, he, the animal is not displaying any typical aggression signs. So like from Daniel's experience, he's worked with, you know, several types of animal, you know, across the board, a lot of, you know, signs of agitation or like snarling, hissing, ears back. But to him, it's not displaying anything that he would recognize as aggression. However, again, I like that he is apt enough to be like, I was not trained to be a vet for giraffes, so don't know what I'm looking for when a giraffe <laughs> comes over. Yeah, that's like, I feel like something you shouldn't have to yeah, right? <laughs> disclaim, like they don't have like a giraffe yeah. chapter. <laughs> you never know. So Daniel begins to notice that something is wrong when the giraffe itself fixates its gaze solely on the group of people. The tourist notices that his guide begins to pick up a nearby tree branch and is now waving it above his head, shouting at the animal. And at this movement and shouting, the giraffe flinches, but it never stops. It keeps going. So confused and concerned, Daniel looks or walks over to Laura. The bull giraffe is now within 10 to 15 yards of the couple. And he goes over and says what's going on. It's at that moment that their tour guide turns around in classic horror movie fashion and just yells, run, at the top of his lungs. Daniel, for his part, barely gets a step in when he feels this tremendous amount of force come barreling into his arm and into his chest. The strength of the blow actually knocks the 200-pound man from his feet and sends him 20 feet away headfirst into the ground. His skull hits a rock on impact, which dazes him for several seconds. He loses his vision and sound, and it becomes disoriented in his stunned state. When he is able to recollect his senses, he knows he's not out of danger. He can feel blood running down his head. He's on his hands and his knees. And most importantly, he is now directly under the giraffe, which is now raising up a leg to stomp down at him. He's lucky and the hoof misses, but he is now able to look over to where his wife is, Laura, and his heart sinks. His wife is laying flat on her back, palms upright, eyes closed and motionless. And in those few seconds, Daniel is fully convinced that his wife is dead. And he soon thinks that he may be too because the 18 foot tall animal again lifts up one of his front legs and slams it down onto the purse that's just a foot away from Laura currently. Daniel takes this time or this as a sign to try and grab Laura, who when she, he grabs her, starts to call out for Dan. So she is alive. She has just been playing dead this entire time. Uh, good on her because Daniel was fully convinced that she was a goner. <laughs> but the giraffe is still over top of them. And, you know, the couple decide it's now or never. So they bolt towards where they think the car is running into their guide, who grabs Laura as they rush to the, the vehicle to safety. Laura cries out just before they reach the doors that the, the animal is coming again. And hot on their heels is the charging bull giraffe. Yeah, I know. That's like the stuff of nightmares. Seriously. <laughs> the second the bloodied, bruised, and traumatized group get into the car, the guide slams on the gas. The car speeds off towards the hotel. The giraffe is soon lost in the dust cloud that's left behind. Daniel and Laura are quick to rush Daniel to the hotel's clinic where he has a three inch gash on his head, bruising from where the giraffe's head ran in, rammed into him the first time. Jeez. 
And because they have basic medical facilities and a registered nurse as the only healthcare options, Daniel turns to a group called Global Rescue. He takes pictures of the injuries and emails them to the group. And the team basically says, uh, after reviewing, that there are no broken bones, he has no blood in his lungs, and he has no symptoms of a head injury. So in terms of everything, Daniel has lucked out. He really just has bruising. That's about it. After having been checked out, the couple choose to return to their hotel for the day. On the drive back, they actually run into the same giraffe again, but this time without incident. Once the core couple is able to unpack their bags and settle back into their room for the day, they call their sons to update them on the incident. All of them are concerned with their dad's health. Their research tells them that most folks who suffer attacks from giraffes die from this type of trauma. Uh, and the boys ask if the parents are going to return to the States, but their parents decline. They still have one more week of their trip left to go, and they're intended to do it. Luckily for them, the rest of the vacation goes without incident, and Daniel says that while he understands the male giraffe was most likely protecting his females, doing what they do, he's not really a big fan of them anymore. Which, to be fair, can't blame the guy at all. <laughs> Laura says that she has picked the next vacation hotspot for their 50th anniversary, and she has already chosen the location. Paris, which technically <laughs> their 50th will be this year because their 40th was 2013. It's 2023. Yeah. So happy 50th anniversary, Daniel and Laura. Hope absolutely nothing happens to you in Paris. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> Paris is giraffe free. Yeah, true. <laughs> Don't go to any zoos. <laughs> All right. That's like my very, very brief little little giraffe story for us. Don't wow. trust them. I know. That's so <laughs> interesting. Before I heard the story. That like... I don't, what, do, you, do they know what caused it to just, like, charge at like, them like that? Like Daniel said, it may have been trying to protect the two other female giraffes that were nearby. Um, it probably was just defending females. The two giraffes that they were already photographing were probably a part of a harem of some sort, and it was defending their, uh, just defending their mates. Interesting. breeding season for them? I don't know if giraffes have a, let me see if giraffes have a breeding season. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really have much about their breeding more than just they have babies and I have a lot of info about their babies. Oh, how many babies do they have? One at a time because those babies are going to be dropping six feet <laughs> upon birth because mom doesn't sit down. They're like standing up when they have the baby and they go. <gasps> no, seriously, they think the drop helps encourage them to take that first breath when they're born. So it encourages <gasps> them to, to breathe. Yeah, right. Um. No, I mean, the only other uh, story I have about a giraffe attack in terms of, like, you know, what could be causing it, you know, one of my big stresses with this episode and kind of why I wanted to choose giraffes is that a lot of animal attacks, I think we picture bears, lions, sharks, crocodiles, you know, big predators that are attempting to eat people or something like that. In my opinion, you're probably more likely to be stomped on by a deer than a wolf. I mean, prey animals are not placid creatures, and respecting their space is as important as it is with predators, because prey animals in particular have a lot to fear, and sometimes fight is a better response than flight, especially when they're defending either their young, their territory, mates, food resources, anything like that. The other story that I had that I saved... Uh, we're probably not going to do an episode on it so I can spoil it, is that in 2018, 
There was another giraffe attack, but in South Africa. And this one was a lot worse than what Daniel experienced. The woman who was attacked was in a coma for several days after the incident. Uh, And her three-year-old son was also charged and kicked uh, and suffered injuries relating to pressure in the brain and bleeding in the brain. But the three-year-old's fine. Fine. Um, But they assume that that was a female giraffe protecting its young. We don't know. (laughs) Um, But I think sometimes I don't really think they have a reason they just fight. Like, that's just internally, like, what instinct tells them to do. If they feel threatened, sometimes the best thing you can do in giraffes in this case, because they really don't have natural predators, you might as well just swing your fucking hooves around and your big neck around. That usually works out well for them. Yeah, you know, from the giraffe's POV, I feel like I could take a human. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously. Barely reaching your knees. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I can... Stomp that thing yeah. to death with my hooves. It's what they do with uh, 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 lions and stuff. There's a lot of... Actually, we'll watch it afterwards. One of my favorite videos is from The Hunt uh, or one of these BBC documentaries and those lions get stomped on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's the story. Um, if we have nothing else, I'll get into my giraffe stats. Most of this comes from the San Diego, uh, San Diego Zoo page on giraffes and a National Geographic page on giraffes, just because those are pretty good, credible sources and the way in which they present their information is really nice and succinct. So I will read to you them. Giraffes are the tallest living animal species. Females can get upwards of 14 feet while males can tower upwards of 18 feet. Uh, Weight-wise, females are around 1,500 pounds, but males can get anywhere upwards of 3,000 pounds. So pretty big guys. There's no reason. (laughs) There are. There are definitely reasons. I know there's reasons, but I just don't like it. Okay. Their long necks are one of their defining traits, and they actually have the exact same number of vertebrae in their neck as we do. So seven, Mm -hmm. but their six-foot neck weighs about 600 pounds. This height allows them to spot predators more easily than other prey species. However, it also comes with uh, disadvantages. Drinking, for example, leaves giraffes in a pretty vulnerable position. They have to like stretch their legs out and dip their heads down, which means they don't have the vigilance that they usually do. Everything about them is supersized. Their heart is two feet long and weighs about 25 pounds, and its lungs can hold 12 gallons of air. Their six-foot-long legs are capped with hooves the size of a dinner plate 12 inches across, and their eyes are the size of golf balls. Terrifying. (laughs) It takes a lot of leaves to fuel such large creatures, so giraffes can eat upwards of 75 pounds of food per day. They spend most of their day eating because they get just a few leaves in each bite. Their favorite leaves are from acacia trees, These trees have long thorns that keep most wildlife from eating them, but those thorns do not stop giraffes. They simply use their 18-inch tongue and prehensile lips to reach around the thorns. It is thought that the dark color of their tongue protects them from getting sunburned while reaching for leaves. They have, uh, like, bluish gray-black tongues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like chow-chows. Yeah, like chow-chows. Blue-tongued skinks. Mm-hmm. Giraffes have a thick, sticky saliva that coats any thorns that they might swallow. So it's interesting how they've been able to adapt. It is fascinating the arms race between plants and the uh, herbivores that <laughs> eat them, and just the ways in which uh, the acacia trees are just like, haha, I have created thorns. <laughs> Giraffes are like, that's no. fine, just evolve saliva. <laughs> <laughs> 
So giraffes are ruminants, which, do we know what a ruminant is? Yeah. No. (laughs) Why do you sound so, like, sad about (laughs) it? It's so gross. It's not. Kind of is. Okay. Ruminants are like cows. So they have stomachs with four chambers or four compartments that digest leaves as they eat. When they are not eating, they're chewing their cud. So after giraffes swallow the leaves the first time, a ball of leaves travels all the way back up the throat into their mouth for them to grind again. Mm. So like uh, whenever you see cows chewing or deer chewing or elk or moose, it's they're ruminating. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're ruminants. Oh, what are you, it's, it's cool for me, at least from a... I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, I understand. I, I'm not asking you to throw up your food and eat re-chewing or anything. Like, <laughs> Definitely, me, I hope not. To me, it's kind of gross because as a kid, I used to actually have that problem. Yeah, I don't know what. I love the like silence after the Adonis and I just have no no response to that. I mean, it's true, but like, <laughs> probably why I have GI problems still. Jesus but, like, Christ! Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Some... Back to giraffes and not your body problems. <laughs> I, my favorite quote from Ice Age is Manny going something along the lines of, "Are we going to get an update every time your body does something?" Yeah. <laughs> Um, their long legs, uh, allow them to run at speeds clocked at about 34.7 miles an hour. So about 35 miles an hour, their speed, the way they move and their body designs also help them to escape predators if they need to. Giraffes have a way of moving or a gait in which both the front and back legs on one side move forward together. Then the other two legs on the other side move forward. So like... The listeners can't see me, but I'm demonstrating the movement. Nah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> okay. It's called pacing. Their feet also provide good weapons against potential predators, such as lions or crocodiles, which are really the only animals that go after them besides people. So as I said, historically, we thought that there was one species with nine recognized subspecies. Today, we believe that there are four distinct species of giraffe, although one is only currently recognized. The subspecies have different coat patterns. The giraffe coat colors vary from light to tan to practically black. The differences occur due to what the giraffes eat and where they live, and each individual markings on an individual are like our fingerprints. Also, okay, are giraffes like... like a... like a meal? Like, do humans, like, hunt them? Yeah. I would try it. <laughs> no. I would try it. Um, I mean, not to like say anything, but I don't know if those like burgers were like real kangaroo meat, but like oh, if yeah. they were, it came from a farm. Yeah. Because you can't, you can't legally, because of the Lacey Act, you cannot legally shoot wild game mm-hmm. and then like distribute that in the market. Um, like you can't do it because we outlawed that forever ago. Um, and so like any meat that you get in grocery stores like venison, elk, boar, it's all going to be farms. That's why I was like those people at the mall who were raising those kangaroos. Hmm, wonder what you're going to use those for. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's why I was like interested. Um, well, when it comes to people, giraffes are what are experiencing what we call a silent extinction. So... Because they're a very charismatic animal, we tend to assume, because we see them so much in pop culture, in zoos, in toys, in media, there's an assumption, kind of like lions, that their populations are okay. Like, we see them all the time, they must be fine. But giraffe populations have been declining pretty rapidly over the past couple decades. So, 
Habitat loss and overgrazing uh, resources due to livestock are some of the biggest ones. As a result, the future of giraffes is dependent on the quality of the habitat that remains. Their numbers have decreased in the past century. One giraffe species, the West African or Nigerian giraffe, is vulnerable. Uh, the Ugandan and Rothschild's giraffe is near threatened. While it has historically lived in western Kenya, Uganda, and southern Sudan, the Uganda giraffe has almost been totally eliminated from most of its former range and now only survives in a few small isolated populations in Kenya and Uganda. The Nigerian giraffe is just found in one area of Niger, and it's considered the rarest of the giraffes. The population of reticulated giraffes has dropped by an alarming 80% in just 10 years. Most of this is probably due to poaching, Giraffes are just no match for humans with guns. Giraffes are shot or snared for their meat, hide, bone marrow, and tail hair. Kenya is actually starting a giraffe conservation program for the three subspecies found there, the reticulated, the Ugandan, and the Maasai giraffe. What's the tail hair used for? Um, probably ceremonial purposes or something cultural uh, specific. Okay. Poaching is a complicated issue. It's one I don't particularly... If we do poaching as a subject, I'd want to do an episode about it. It's, it's a really delicate topic that I don't think gets the critical thinking it is just due, um, especially when we think about which types of communities engage in poaching and for what reasons people are engaging in poaching. I think a lot of people just kind of... <sighs> My hot take is a lot of the uh, fervor uh, around anti-poaching initiatives is a lot of Western white people placing their anger on poorer black communities. Mm -hmm. Like it's just them outletting their violence in different ways because it's for a morally just reason. Uh, case in being like, it's not, you can't pretend that there aren't people who like my fucking dad, who I haven't spoken to in years, who wanted to be a part of like some anti-poaching like, mission in Africa to, like, protect the rhinos and shit like that. Like, oh, I'll use my military background to stop the poachers. And I'm like, I don't think you what? understand that. No, but, like, this is the mindset okay. people... But this is the mindset people rationalize for themselves. That, like, they as white people get to have their savior complex and save the helpless animals overseas. When I'm like, if you really care about poaching, why don't you look on your own country, uh, in your own soil? Because there's plenty of poaching opportunities that happen here in Colorado, for example. But it's not glamorous poaching, like saving the elephants. It's like people who shoot a bunch of elk or people who steal uh, sheds outside of season. People who poison uh, birds of prey and coyotes and, you know, all of these other things. And I just, I feel very icky when a lot of folks talk about poaching in a very specific way and does not give just credit and uh, consideration to the communities that may be engaging in it and the reasons why. I mean, I actually have a lot of empathy for people who may engage in poaching. So when we were talking with the National Wildlife Repository, um, which is the place in the United States where if you find or confiscate illegal wildlife parts, they all get sent to the repository. Um, which is a giant Amazon warehouse filled literally with just dead animal parts and like confiscated items like turtle shell leather um, or tortoise, tur turtle leather, baby tiger fetuses, you know, zebra hooves, elephant feet, stuff like that. And I, I admire that they were very empathetic to people that get put into the situation of poaching. So they use pangolins as an example. Pangolins are the most... Uh, 
trafficked animal in the world, like literally, just like no other animal competes to pangolins. And a lot of it is because pangolins have keratin scales that cover. We know what pangolins are. They're like a little mm-hmm. like yeah. armadillo. Like little nice one. Yeah. So people hunt them for those keratin scales because there are a lot of different medicinal purposes for it rumored in a lot of indigenous communities, some of which includes uh, increasing lactation. And so you find it's like a lot of like lactating women who engage in poaching because they have no other way of, you know, feeding their child. <laughs> and so when you have these like white people here, like, yeah, we have to kill all poachers. I'm like, um, really? Because some of these people are literally just parents trying to feed their children. Uh, and, you know, how you define poaching is very interesting. There was a show on Animal Planet called Extinct or Alive with biologist Forrest Galante, who I have so many uh, uh, not great opinions of. Uh, I think he is just a little piece of shit. Uh, and there's some people who won't agree with me on that, but I have my, I have respective opinions why I don't like this guy. Uh, but he did an episode where he was looking for the Formosa and Clouded Leopard, which has not been seen in Formosa in forever. This is one of the reasons that he's a very complicated figure. Uh, I think there's some con, uh, when it comes to subspecies and species and whatnot, we're learning new things every day about DNA evidence. There is some contest, I believe, that the Formosa Clouded Leopard is not a valid subspecies. Um, any case, he was, had natural, he had native guides taking him into the national parks to look for it. And he discovered that one of these guys was, had a gun with him and he was intended to poach the leopard if he found it. And Forrest went off on him of like, this is a protected species. This is a protected area. You shouldn't be doing this shit. And I hate saying it. I said it with the native guy because the guy's like, my people have been here longer than this national park. Mm-hmm. Like our hunting of that animal goes on longer than this park has existed. And you're like Western values of conservation. And he's right. I mean, they have been there longer. And my whole fucking thesis will be about how the national park system just seeks to, you know, discredit indigenous relationships with the land. And he he has every right to say that shit to Forrest, who's just this random fucking white guy who's just showing up doing shit in, in Formosa and whatnot. So uh, poaching is complicated, but that's a long answer to your question about what they're doing with tails. Sorry, I have a lot of feelings about about no, our, our phrasing of this of this problem. It's like literally the intersection of environmental issues and social justice stuff that I'm in for. Speak your truth. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, the more you like read into like topics, like political issues, there really is is not much of a distinction between like social justice issues and like economic issues like they're all very much like interconnected and like interdependent mm-hmm. the separation we put on them is just purely fantasy mm-hmm. <laughs> like they all have effects on each other i want to i forget her name and i'm so i wish i remember her name but get out alive did an episode with an elephant biologist um And she said something very apt, something that it's something to the effect of human wildlife conflict issues are really like poverty issues or economic issues. Like the the communities that are most in line with potential human wildlife conflict, when you're talking about places like Zambia, South Africa, uh, India, when we talk about our leopards, like it's mainly these communities kind of that are not as developed that have the more likelihood of being in conflict with animals. 
And like, it is an economic issue because what drives people to fucking poach elephants? Oh, I don't know. How about a guy who has been farming for his family and for three consecutive farming seasons, elephants have trampled his crops and he knows that if he hunts an elephant, that'll be worth 10 times as much as the three crops that he has now lost. I, I can see how people end up there. I really do. And I wish we had more. This goes back to like, you know, problems with American uh, empathy. Like, I, I just wish we had more empathy and to impart on people and to put ourselves into those situations. Anywho, Maasai giraffes from Kenya have patterns on their fur that look like oak leaves. The Uganda or Rothschilds giraffes sport large brown splotches separated by thick beige lines. The reticulated giraffe found only in northern Kenya has a dark coat with a seeming web of narrow white lines. So it's interesting. They Even the subspecies have different coat colorations and distinctions. This is how you know I'm not a giraffe biologist because I don't think I would be able to point out coloration and be like, oh, this is a Rothschild's giraffe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, working at Home Depot and just like trying to differentiate different colors watches yeah. by like the minimum <laughs> of like a percent of yeah. dye is terrible. <laughs> Uh, in terms of their social structure, giraffes typically wander in open grasslands, grasslands in small groups of about half a dozen. Bulls will sometimes battle one another by bugging their long necks and heads, uh, called necking. Such contests are not usually dangerous and only end when one animal submits and walks away. However, uh, they have definitely killed each other in combat. Have we seen necking before? Like, what it looks like when giraffes fight? Yeah, I watch uh, Casual Geographic on, uh, like, YouTube. <laughs> it's gnarly. Uh... Yeah, it's, like, ugly. It's, like, uh... Yeah, no, it's seriously. Like, you can, the sound. Yeah, just a... Just... <gasps> so, what they are using when they're fighting, actually are ossicones. So both male and female giraffes have two distinct hair-covered horns called ossicones. Male giraffes use their horns in sparring, throwing their necks against each other. And as a male matures, the calcium deposits begin to form on his skull to protect it when he headbutts with other males. These calcifications can be quite pronounced, giving the strange appearance of a three to five horned giraffe. I really don't like that. <laughs> I really don't. You're, so, you're just so disturbed in your little corner. Now, when talking about their babies, they are born feet first. So followed by their head, their neck, and shoulders. Uh, its entry is like a slow motion swan dive, as one of the pages I was researching put it. Uh, their umbilical cord is only about three feet long, so it breaks midway through birth. They drop six feet upon birth. Uh, yeah, seriously. The fall and the landing do not hurt the calf, but they do cause it to take a big breath. The calf will soon stand up and walk after about an hour, and within a week, it will start to sample vegetation. Sometimes the mother will leave the calf alone for most of the day, and then when this is happening, the youngster's probably just sitting quietly, much like deer fawns do. Uh, every year, wildlife offices have to remind people that, no, the deer fawns are not abandoned. It's just that mom is leaving them for the day, and please stop bringing us deer fawns. <laughs> You have a face, Adonis. I don't want to say it because it's just bad. Like well, okay, it's basically you. just... No, because I'm already starting. It's like <laughs> Freddy Krueger just like going through because like their hooves are sharp, right? So it's just like slicing. Um, I actually... You know what? I don't actually know what... <laughs> okay, so you know about the whole like horse hooves mm -hmm. gross thing? I don't know if giraffe hooves are like that. So like to prevent the scarring, if 
I'm not going to look it up, but I'm going to assume they're probably not that sharp. Who knows? I'm not a giraffe expert, obviously. Um, I mean, like, I feel like if you sharpened a wolf, could do some damage. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, is that, like, evolutionary-wise, it wouldn't make sense to give birth to an animal that could tear your insides up. <laughs> yeah. Unless be... you're into that. Please don't. Um, <laughs> no. Corbin, like, don't add that in, please. <laughs> it's me who's going to have to search for it, so. I'm fun. <laughs> when a calf gets older, the mother will leave her youngster with other calves in a nursery. One of the moms will stay behind to babysit while the others go out to eat and socialize. In the nursery, the calves develop physical and social skills through play. So, you know, people, <laughs> like people. Under the watchful eye of the designated babysitter, the youngsters will explore their surroundings throughout the day. And by about four months, they can eat leaves, but they'll continue to nurse until they're six or nine months old. So fun fact, giraffes make noises. I don't think people know this, but they make a variety of sounds like moos, roars, snorts, hisses, and grunts. They very rarely do that, but uh, one sound giraffes make when they're alarmed is a snort, for example. I'm sorry, what are you talking about, a hiss? We can look up giraffe noises after this, because it's not going to sound good on the micro microphone, but I implore folks to look up giraffe vocalizations. No, yes, please, because I'm scared of a hissing giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a goose. Oh, my Jesus <laughs> Awful. Um, but, yeah. That's kind of all I have for, like, big stat stuff. We just have our two subcategories of pop culture uh, and um, our pop culture shout-outs and our lessons. I mean, I think we all know a iconic giraffe. Yeah, I'm looking at it. <laughs> no, there's a demonic giraffe sitting on my bookcase, listeners, that Adonis is looking right at. No, which one are you going with, though? Because we talked about this last time. I know. I have a very, um, one that's not well known, so I want to go last. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'll go first. Um, it's not like a, I don't know, like, they don't have a name, but... Um, from the Owl House, uh, basically, <laughs> giraffes are very cursed. They were basically kicked out of the Boiling Isles because they're cursed. They're all demons, y'all, listeners. Like, they kicked out giraffes. And in the third season, spoiler alert, they finally meet a giraffe and it's terrifying. Um, so if anyone's watching the Owl House or if anyone has time to look up a picture of this giraffe... Uh, yeah, that's my shout out. A scary giraffe. I totally forgot about that. That <laughs> one. That's a, that's a real pull. Uh, mine is not original because I told you all I'm going with Melman from Madagascar. <laughs> yeah, I, Melman. I just really love that stupid hypochondriatic giraffe. <laughs> He's really good. And also, I will never um, not love the Twitter meme of the, why are you white? And it's just Melman. <laughs> <laughs> Very charismatic. <laughs> He's funny. I that's I don't have anything other than just I didn't want to keep picking Denver Zoo animals because they have some cool giraffes there as well. So I'm like, eh, Melman's an easy reach. <laughs> and my pick is from the anime I was obsessed with in high school called School Rumble. I 
<laughs> Sorry. You fucking weebs. Listen, I have no idea. I don't know why, but like Comcast On Demand when I was like in high school, that was like the anime that they had. And so I watched it a lot. And there is a character, Harima, who's like the school like gangster bad boy in Japan. He's also dark for, you know, whatever reason. Um, and he gains this ability to talk to animals. And there's a giraffe in that anime called Piotr. And he's like Russian, I'm pretty sure. So I don't know why. <laughs> and like the way they animate this giraffe is kind of weird. Like, and he has like conversations with him. And like Piotr's voice in the anime is just weird. Like it's like this like high pitched kind of nasally weird giraffe guy but he's the only giraffe I like because he, he is not real. He's not real. <laughs> Fascinating. I have learned so many new things that I did not think I needed to know <laughs> today of all days. Okay. Well, that's pop culture. Um, what are our lessons? What are we, what are we coming away from the story with? Um, I'm really you know, like with a lot of stories, like you get a lot of guys who aren't like as aware of their situations or aren't like, or who have like a lot of experience where are lenient. I like how this, like this guide was like, hmm, something isn't right and took immediate action and was, you know, looking out for like the, the people who they're guiding. Mm. so um shout out to a guide and look for someone like that because they'll save your life <laughs> yeah as soon as you see your guide like start waving a branch above them just get it go just get go out. no don't stay mine is you know even if you didn't learn it in vet school if you're gonna go see giraffes maybe pop, pop open a giraffe biology book or something just to just a little, a little refresher, just in case anything like this happens. I'm a giraffe. Or, you know, like, habituated doesn't mean safe. Yeah, yeah. literally. Again, with the complacency. Mm -hmm. You know, just because it didn't happen to somebody else doesn't mean it's not going to happen to you, man. Cool. Well, another episode done. I'm just flabbergasted that we're powering through. Episode 7. Didn't think we'd get this far. Only a few more episodes till our season finale. Gotta go fast. All right, so we are traveling to, actually, we're going back to Australia, back down under. That's my terrible <laughs> Australian accent. I literally oh can only do gosh. a Scottish accent. Uh, we're going to Australia. We are talking about the murder bird, question mark. We're talking about cassowaries. Uh, so I'm excited, actually. I, I feel like I get to do some more debunking in the cassowary episode, uh, talking about, are they in fact? the world's most dangerous bird. Tune in next time. On Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Toodaloo. Goodbye. Bye, Bye. <laughs>